Hello, and welcome to the brand spanking new Sistery History podcast. I'm big sister Laura. And I'm little sister Caroline. Together on this podcast, we'll discuss a historical event or experience from a sensory perspective. This means we'll focus on smells, sounds, tastes, haptics, which Caroline reliably informs me means touch, as well as sights. Hopefully, we really hope, this will be interesting, perhaps thought-provoking, but mainly we want to keep things light-hearted and accessible. To kick things off, we are travelling back in time to ancient Rome, the late Republic and the Imperial Age to be precise, for a day at the Games. Now, you might have an idea in your head already about gladiators, crowds cheering, wild animals chasing Christians around. But what about how the arena itself looked? What could you smell and feel? And by the gods, what on earth is that man wearing? Caroline, you've got a lovely looking primary source over there. Who is it and what have they got to say for themselves? Well, I've got a little bit of Marshall, who loves uh, talking about the nitty gritty shall we say. I'm going to read you epigram number eight. And interestingly, you mentioned, what is that man wearing? Because by the gods, what is this man wearing? Here Interesting. we go. Epigram eight, which is called On Faces. It's a, it's a little bit long, so bear with me. The edict of our supreme lord and ruler, by which the seats in the theatre are more exactly defined, and the knight is allotted a place free from contact with the vulgar was lately the theme of Phasis's approbation in the theatre where, flaming with purple robes, he was boasting proudly in a pompous tone. At length we can sit more at our ease. The dignity of our knighthood is now restored. We are not pressed or contaminated by the mob. These and such remarks was this upstart uttering when Latius ordered his arrogant purple robes to change their seat. Right, so if we unpick that. So Phasis is a person. Correct. And he is wearing the fantastic purple robes? He is wearing a lovely set of purple robes. Okay, you do like purple. But he's unfortunately sitting somewhere where he doesn't quite belong. He has decided to sit himself down among the knights. Okay, so he's not wearing the wrong clothes, he's just in the wrong row. Technically, he's a bit of both. Right. So, as I understand it, I don't think that Phasis is a knight. In fact, he's definitely not. And secondly to that, purple is normally a colour reserved only for the imperial family. Yeah. So what you've got here is a bloke who is a bit jumped up and wearing the wrong clothes and sitting in the wrong seats. Yeah, okay, so he's he's really trying it on there, isn't he? He's trying it on. But what but what I think uh, is interesting here is the very visual nature of a day at the games. You can go in, you can instantly see, oh right, that man is wearing purple, he's in the imperial family. That man's sitting over there, he must be a knight. Yeah. So the position in the seating structure correct yeah and i think that's something that you don't necessarily think of initially when you're considering a day out at the games you're not necessarily thinking here's a bloke wearing a lovely purple robe he definitely shouldn't be wearing one 
Now, if we talk about these laws regarding dress, Augustus, so he he dictated, and actually several several of the emperors did, that everyone has to wear white. And I just want to um, read you another really quick extract. Obviously, it's Marshall again, because I love Marshall. It's on a man called Horatius. Horatius was the only one among all the spectator of the games who appeared in black clothes when the plebeians, the knights and the senate with their sacred chief were sitting in white array. Suddenly snow fell in great abundance and Horatius became a spectator in white. Again, you're supposed to turn, if you're a citizen of Rome, you've got to wear white. You've got to wear a lovely white toga and that shows A, your citizenship Mm -hmm. and B, that you are participating in that citizenship. Ah, I see. So you're being a bit of a rebel if you dress differently because you're bucking the trend you're yes yes i'm with you yeah augustus famously wanted the forum to be a sea of white okay because the toga the white toga is the mark of the male roman citizen okay so the sophistication the 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 sense of sophistication and order Hmm. and a an empire under control Absolutely. All about control. That's what we want. We want order. We want control. So Faces with his wild purple robes billowing. He sounds like my kind of chap. (laughs) Or Horatio. Horatius with his black. Yes, his his black outfit. Yeah. They're going to be really obvious and stick out. Absolutely. They want to be noticed, though, don't they? Well, it may be a bit of that. I mean, obviously, purple was a very expensive colour as well to be wearing. So there's probably a little, little bit of showing off there. I don't mm. know about Horatius. Maybe he was just having an awful day and just feeling a bit... Maybe he was mourning. Also, I think it's really unlikely that heavy snow fell just at that moment. <laughs> that seems highly, highly convenient. I'm quoting Marshall here. <laughs> I, if, you, if you want to take us up with him, please, please okay. go ahead. Fine. But so, yeah, that's, that's what I wanted you to think about. Okay. And that's not something that we would think about today. When you go to the theatre, there are different areas to sit in and ticket prices mm. the uh if you're going to a pub if you're going to appear at a pub- formal public event mm. put your toga on it's like wearing a suit basically okay. suit yeah. and tie yeah don't show up in jeans don't show up in jeans to a wedding reception <laughs> it's not done <laughs> please don't <laughs> augustus would be livid he would be so what have you got regalus with so my first extract is from De Rerum Natura, Lucretius, book four. The translation there is on the nature of things. This is nice and broad. And commonly the awnings, saffron red and dusky blue, stretched overhead in mighty theatres, upon their poles and crossbeams fluttering, have such an action quite, for there they die and make to undulate with their every hue the circled throng below, and all the stage and rich attire in the patrician seats, and ever the more the theatre's dark walls around them shut, the more all things within laugh in the bright suffusion of strange glints, the daylight being withdrawn. And therefore, since the canvas hangings thus discharge their dye from off their surface, things in general must likewise their tenuous effigies discharge. Do you know what's going on there? I think he's describing light 
shining through light, light <laughs> shining through the awnings and the plays of shadow and I don't know dust particles <laughs> yes probably dust particles so what they used to do is they'd have these big awnings that they would stretch over the crowd during the games if I, I imagine if it was particularly hot so mm. to protect people from the sun or the rain or the rain, yeah, potentially both. They were apparently really difficult to manipulate because mm. of their size. Obviously, if you think about how many people the Colosseum could seat. And obviously, when they were windy, they made a really big flapping noise, which could be quite <laughs> funny, I imagine. And how would you hear what was going on over the flapping? I don't know. I don't know how loud the flapping was in relation to the the death throes of the wild beasts and the Christians. That's and... it. I've never thought about that kind of the noise of the the flapping of the actual structure itself. No. And I guess if you're the closer you are to them, so if you're in the high seats at the back, you know, you're poor mm. or you're a woman, heaven forbid, or a slave or for someone who definitely can't afford a seat near the front, that must be even louder for them. Yes, I think so. Definitely. What I liked about this particular extract was not actually, I wasn't focused on the flapping sound, <laughs> which now I feel I, I really missed a trick about. there. <laughs> it's not what I'll think about from now on. It was actually the visuals of the colours. So at the beginning, they talk about saffron and red and blue. Mm. Those are your three primary colours, therefore. So you've got yellow, red and blue. Theoretically, through those three colours, you can make all the other colours, uh -huh. right? So however those awnings flapped around visually, you're potentially seeing loads and loads of different colours all around you, like wherever you look. Like a rainbow. Yeah. It sounds beautiful, doesn't it? And you add in the wind element, you've got the potential for those to be constantly changing around you. And as you said, it's the tricks of the light and the movement. So mm. I just thought that was a really nice visual. You don't get that in um, indoor theatres now, do you? Imagine going to see a play. No. It's all very... You know, the lighting is very, obviously, it's, it's controlled. Yeah, it's controlled, isn't it? And it's very specific to what you're looking at you, with spotlights mm. and floodlights and all, all of that sort of thing. There's definitely no flapping. No flapping. Well, no intentional flapping anyway. <laughs> You've got a lot of words in that extract that talk about movement. So fluttering, undulate, glints. There's mm. lots of indications of, of movement, which I thought was quite... It's very poetic, really. Well, he is he a poet? Lucretius? Let's say yes. Yeah, let's say yes. Let's go with yes. Other thing I wrote in my notes here was the visual contrast. So you've got bright and glints and daylight mm. versus things like dark walls, daylight being withdrawn, the word shut. So mm. nice contrast there between the bright and the dark love it yeah so there we go maybe we should all go to a little bit more open air theater it must have been really quite a different experience to what we're used to now although mm. you're at the the mercy of the elements as mm. well so it could be quite a depressing rainy drizzly experience as well but, this is true but you know i think rome probably faring better in the weather stakes than say the south bank <laughs> Well, I do know that in ancient Greece, when they put on their plays, I think it was three a day. And the, the one in the late afternoon 
would often be set so that the sun was setting. Oh, you mean the story? Yeah, the, so oh, the story okay. would kind of reflect the time of day that really it's actually nice. being performed at, yeah. which I think is quite nice. That is a nice touch. Okay, so that was my extract one. I am, I'm obviously going to talk about Marshall again because... You've got two Marshalls? He's a great guy. Okay. I'm not sure if he is, actually. I might have to look into it. I'm going to go with he's a great... He's a fun guy. Okay. <laughs> I've got another epigram of his mm -hmm. to read and here I want you to consider a very specific part of this extract okay it's extract 25 which is called on Kerastratus a night in reduced circumstances now again we're picking up on that theme that we just discussed in my previous extract so a person in the night class of society had certain privileges had a horse mm. was allowed to wear rings um sorry could other people not wear rings <laughs> is no. that true <laughs> i've got it in my head that only people can wear a gold ring i'm gonna have to look that oh, up okay right so what i want you to focus on here is how something might feel Okay. Mm -hmm. You have not 400,000 sesterces, Carastratus. Rise. Latius is coming. Quick, away with you. Run. Hide yourself. Does anyone call him back and restore him to the seat he is leaving? Does any patron offer him a share of his lordly riches? Is there such a person whose name we may commit in verse to fame and the applause of the people? Where is he who does not wish to sink in obscurity to the waters of Styx? Would not such generosity, I ask, he better than to sprinkle the stages with a rufous cloud and to be drenched with a shower of saffron water? Or than to spend 400,000 sesterces upon a horse which will not appreciate it, or that the nose of Scorpus may glisten everywhere in gold? Oh, rich man, rich to no purpose and faithless to your friend. Do you read and approve these verses? What glory do you allow to escape you? Any idea what's going on? Is someone trying to escape through the cloud? The crowd? <laughs> <laughs> Ish. Latius is coming. Quick. Yes. Okay. So we know who Latius is, don't we? Do we? He was in the previous extract that I The man read. with the amazing... Latius is in charge of the seating. Okay. At the arena. And what's happened here is Kerastratus is a knight or was a knight. Mm -hmm. He has now not the money to... Uh, to maintain his status. To maintain his knightly status okay. in the equestrian class. So he's had a little seat in the area of the arena that he used to sit in, I suppose. And Latius is coming to pick it. And he's in the wrong seat because he hasn't got the money anymore. These people keep Lace, poor Latius on his toes, don't they? Latius is a very busy man, I'm yeah. presuming. So what Marshall is actually commenting on here is he's saying, these people used to be your friends. Why can't they lend you some money so you can maintain your nightly class? Mm-hmm. Do they not want the fame of doing such a, a generous and lovely gift? Um, basically, he's saying your friends are rubbish and 
they only like you when you have your money. Fair weather friends. Fair weather friends Mm. is what he's saying. But what this extract picks up on, which is what I want to talk about, it's this idea of this rufous cloud. Yes. Red? Red. Red cloud. Red, ready, yep, ready cloud. And then he also said, drenched with a shower of saffron water. Mm. Now, this is a thing that they used to do in the theatre, which was sprinkle definitely the stage, but perhaps the spectators too, Mm. with spaciones. Now, spaciones is essentially sprinklings. Is that the, that's the translation, is it? Correct. Right. Saffron very very expensive Mm. saffron also has a scent and the idea of your visual theatrical experience being scented with saffron water maybe you're covered in saffron water maybe your white glistening toga is now glistening gold because you have been sprinkled because you had the finest seats at the front of the theatre Ah. Here we go with that whole visual wealth again. Ah, if you yes. if you come away 4 p.m. sprinkled in gold, you're literally glowing in gold. Mm. Everyone's going to know that you've got some cash. You've got some cash because you've been near the front of the you've stage. You've been near the front of the stage. You're going to smell like you've been to the theatre. I love this because I went on a 9D experience in 9D? <laughs> I didn't know there were nine. No. I can't list them all. But partway through the experience, I got sprayed with water mm-hmm. and there was some perfume sprayed into the room, you know, pumped into the room. And I think that this is very reminiscent of that. Mm-hmm. You tie the smell and the visual of the gold and the droplets and the touch of the sprinklings on your skin would all tie you into this experience and remind you of it so when if you smelt that smell again if you saw that color again it would just bring it take back. you take you back to that lovely okay. day at the games yeah in the extract it said he was drenched mm. that sounds expensive then i mean and who's paying for this saffron uh, events and games and shows would be sponsored by a rich patron so perhaps someone from the equestrian class. So they've got the money the, to do it. Exactly. Fronting the cash for the saffron. I mean, it, it's a huge expense, saffron. Pliny goes on about how how expensive it is to crush nine million crocuses to make one cubic centiliter of whatever. Wow, they, <laughs> they had some cash to burn, didn't they? they really back, did. back in the day. But what? the other thing I think is this could have been used to cool down a crowd. Mm. There's a really, really good book on this, actually, by Joe Day. And she mentions that some of the adverts for shows in Pompeii that we, that are still remaining, perhaps carved into, the, into a stone, you know, show on Saturday, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. They mention this show has sprinklings. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. It would be like, oh, maybe it's a really hot Saturday afternoon and I don't want to go to a show with no sprinklings. I want to be cooled down as an audience member. 
yeah so it's like saying oh you know you can have a glass of prosecco on arrival to something like free popcorn free popcorn or you know you get something free at half time it's something to mention in the advertising nice something that is so so lovely i just really love the idea of it (laughs) it doesn't quite match up with you getting squirted with water at your 90 experience no and i know it was probably the best day of my life, that 90 experience, <laughs> but uh, I would much prefer to be sprinkled with golden sparsconas in the arena. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, you know, you've got to have some life goals. <laughs> Maybe next year. Maybe next year. What are, what are we going to discuss now, Laura? We are going to consider Pliny. Of course. The Elder. The Elder. The Elder, yes. So from his work, The Natural History, book eight specifically, and book eight is concerned with the nature of terrestrial animals oh okay we are at chapter seven of said book and this chapter is called the combats of elephants lovely yes indeed horrific but lovely yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's some questionable description in this extract Mm. as well which we can we can dissect should we do a trigger Mm. warning it's not upsetting it's perhaps a bit brusque in some of the description. It's Pliny, yeah. He says it how it is. In the second consulship of Pompeius at the dedication of the Temple of Venus Victrix, 20 elephants, or as some say 17, fought in the circus against a number of Gaetulians who attacked them with javelins. One of these animals fought in a most astonishing manner. Being pierced through the feet, it dragged itself on its knees towards the troop and seizing their bucklers, tossed them aloft into the air. And as they came to the ground, they greatly amused the spectators, for they whirled round and round in the air, just as if they had been thrown up with a certain degree of skill, and not by the frantic fury of a wild beast. Another very wonderful circumstance happened, and this you may disagree with the word wonderful. An elephant was killed by a single blow. The weapon pierced the animal below the eye and entered the vital part of the head. The elephants attempted to, by their united efforts, to break down the enclosure, not without great confusion among the people who surrounded the iron gratings. When, however, the elephants in the exhibition given by Pompeius had lost all hopes of escaping, they implored the compassion of the multitude by attitudes which surpass all description and with a kind of lamentation bewailed their unhappy fate. So greatly were the people affected by the scene that, forgetting the general altogether and the munificence which had been at such pains to do them honour, the whole assembly rose up in tears and showered curses on Pompeius, of which he soon afterwards became the victim. Now... Hang on. Mm. So did they... Did he let the elephants go free? I don't know. But I need to know. (laughs) (laughs) We'll leave that cliffhanger. Oh, Lord. But anyway, I did check another translation because i when i read that i thought that sounds like the elephants were wailing yeah as in making a mournful a mournful loud sound yes or trumpeting something like that so i i but then i thought okay is that is that true so i went to another translation and that section here we go but pompey's elephants when they had lost all hope of escape tried to gain the compassion of the crowd by indescribable gestures of entreaty deploying their fate with a sort of wailing so much to the distress of the public that they forgot their general and his munificence, carefully devised for their honour, and bursting into tears, rose in a body and invoked curses on the head of Pompey, for which he soon afterwards paid the penalty. So it's definitely 
indicating that the elephants were making a loud, mournful, sorrowful sound. Oh, in... that's so harrowing. I know. Actually, it is quite harrowing, isn't it? I, I, I played it down at the beginning, but reading it back. And not only that, the interesting thing I took from this was the, the sound, so the mm. sound aspect of sensory. So you've got 20, potentially 17, <laughs> elephants all wailing. Well, one's once. dead. So oh, yes, one has 16. been pierced. Yes, that's true, 19 or 16 because of that wonderful that, incident. <laughs> that will make a difference to how I imagine this. Yes, okay, good. <laughs> so not only have we got those enormous wailing elephants, we've also got the crowd, mm. potentially you know, thousands and thousands of spectators so standing many. up, wailing, crying, mm. cursing Pompey. Very loud, <laughs> in summary. <laughs> Probably just quite crazy to, to witness. To give some context, so Pompey had three consulships. Right. Yeah. This was in the second of Greedy. his consulship. I know, yeah. Or maybe just, you know, a decent general. You know, I've maybe got a soft spot good. for Pompey. But anyway, this was in his second consulship. So that's 55 BC. And you remember at the end, it said they showered curses on Pompeius, for which he soon afterwards became the victim. Mm. Now, I wasn't sure specifically what they're referring to there, but I could only think of he, he died seven odd years later. Okay. So he was killed on the orders of Ptolemy in Egypt, Cleopatra's brother. So is that why he got trod on by an elephant the next day? Maybe, yes. In a, maybe. Yeah. But you're right. This um, must have been very loud. Can you imagine it? Overwhelming. Overwhelmingly loud. Mm. Quite chaotic. And mm. then it must have been, from the point of view of Pompey, this is meant to be an event where he was showcasing his wealth, his abilities as a, a general and his munificence. And to have the crowd turn on him, that must have not been in his plan. No. <laughs> he, I wonder if he got together. ushered out of the back door quite quickly by security. Yeah, possibly. Interesting. Mm. Yes. So some harrowing descriptions of elephant injuries. But a really interesting description of this, just the sounds that they had the potential to erupt with. Well, imagine if there was flapping on top of that. With the with the awnings. With the awnings. Oh, my goodness, yeah. You could barely hear yourself think. Yeah, totally. But also, if you've got a little bit before, so yes, you've got the crowd standing up to curse Pompey and crying, but then potentially you've got, when the animals were trying to break down the enclosure, you probably got some shouts of fear going on mm, there. Maybe yeah, people near that enclosure, out, yeah. will I get trampled, will I not? Yeah. So, yeah, all sorts of loudness going on. Well, so if we sum up a day at the Games, in some ways, lovely. Yeah. Colours, dancing, shadow and light. A bit of saffron and perfume. Sprinklings. To try and maybe cover up the smell of blood and we. Yeah. <laughs> And, and whatever sausage someone's eating next year. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we didn't mention sausage sellers, but that's probably <laughs> too obvious, isn't it? And, and then and then we've got the noises of the elephants as they're trumpeting and trying to break out yeah. all 19 or 16 of them. Yes. Shrieks and wails of the, the people who aren't faring so well in their battles, gladiators, animals. Also prisoners. So they do at half time, half time or lunchtime. I think they no do a few. Um, I know. I think it would be more like public executions oh. of criminals. Oh, nice, relaxing. Go and get an ice cream. Yeah. Watch some. Get some Haribo, glass of poor quality wine, watch a few public executions. <laughs> Tick. <laughs> What a lovely day out. But also then we've got the comedy of poor Latius 
running around with his seating plan, making sure <laughs> that everyone's wearing the right clothes and sitting in the right seat. Where's your toga? Where's your 400,000 sesterces? one. <laughs> what a sensory experience. Yes. I paid good money for that. <laughs> Do you have a quiz for me? Caroline, I was just going to suggest a little quizlet. So this is going to be a standard part of the podcast going forward. Just a quiz that is, is loosely related to the topic or the event or experience that we've been talking about. Quick so fire. Quick, quick fire, fire quiz. quiz. Yeah. yeah. So I've got five questions for you. They are multiple choice. Okay. Okay. Hit me. So number one. In what decade was the last public execution in the United States? And you have got the options of the 30s, the 40s or the 50s, 1930s, 1940s or 1950s. Oh, OK. I thought this was going to be about our primary sources, but no, no. we've gone rogue. Um, I said loosely based on. OK. Focus on the word loosely. We'll remember. OK, I'm going to say 1950s. No. Really? <laughs> oh. No, 1930s. 1936, to be precise. Won't remember that ever. Fine. The last public execution in London. <laughs> really focusing on public execution. <laughs> yeah, I really. <laughs> what about um, the lovely light and shadow dancing around the arena? I've got How about some, that? I've got some Colosseum-y based okay. ones. Don't worry. Last public execution in London was in the 1800s, 60s, 70s or 80s? <sighs> 70s no 60s oh. okay we'll go we'll go slightly more imperial now in nature thank you in ad 80 the inaugural games of the Colosseum yeah. were held by the emperor titus approximately how many animals were killed over <laughs> the hundred days that the games spanned oh we're keeping it jolly still yes okay. i will give you seven thousand eight thousand or nine thousand a hundred days. Yeah. Right. So if we do some really quick math, how many animals could I kill a day? <sighs> Probably none. Probably none. How long is a day? Eight hours? Eight hours of games, shall we say? Yeah. Ten an hour. Break for lunch, because that's when the criminals the are criminals, killed. obviously. So, uh... What were the numbers again? 7,000, 8,000 or 9,000. So I'm going to go for 8,000. No, 9,000. Oh, darn it. (laughs) Okay. Number four. Now, these 100 days of games, we're still in the inaugural games of AD 80, took the life of how many gladiators? (sighs) (laughs) It is pretty bleak, isn't it? 1,000, 2,000 or 2,500? Wow, they killed a lot of gladiators. Yeah, this is bloodthirsty stuff. However much perfume they whip out, it's pretty harsh. You're going to need a lot of saffron water to cover up that amount of blood. Exactly. Um, 3,000. That wasn't an option. 1,000, 2,000, 2,500. 2,500. No. Oh, my. You've got naught out of four. Well, wait till you get a quiz. Number five. How many spectators could the Colosseum hold? Oh, you know I'm bad at this. So your options here are 45,000, 80,000 or 100,000. 85,000. It wasn't 85, but I'm going to give it to you because you went in the one in the middle, right? I did. 80,000. Yay! (gasps) One out of five. (laughs) Well, there we go. That's wrapped up our very first podcast episode. Hopefully we did press record. 
we'll find out. See you next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Here's a summary of the sources we talked about today. First up, Marshall, a poet born in Spain, but who spent most of his life in Rome. He was active in the first century of the Common Era, which is the early imperial age, where we've got the early emperors like Augustus, Nero, Claudius kicking around. Marshall talks about the humdrum of everyday life. We've got Pliny the Elder, an author and naturalist, and also an early scientist. Born in Italy in the Como region, also active in the first century of the Common Era. And then we've got Lucretius, a poet. Lucretius wrote a work called De Rerum Natura, which translates as On the Nature of Things. He was born in Rome and he was active a little bit earlier, so in the late Republic, first century BC. If you liked what you heard today, then please do take the time to like or subscribe to the podcast. You can find us under Sistery History on Instagram or email us at sisteryhistory at gmail.com. Special thanks to our composer Alice Morgan. You can find her on Instagram under Miss Alice Keys.